This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. I'm so excited to start tonight's message with you guys. Last week we did James chapter 1. We talked about who James was. He was the younger half-brother of Jesus. That's crazy. He grew up watching the lifestyle, hearing the words of his older half-brother, Jesus. After Jesus died and rose again, James stayed in Jerusalem and led the church in Jerusalem. It was like a home base. While Peter and Paul and Barnabas were planting churches other places, they would kind of come back and, and regroup before they went out again at the church in Jerusalem where James was leading. And James was over the church in a very difficult time. Not only was there heavy Roman oppression, but there was also a famine that came through the land. And so people were dealing with poverty and hunger. And James was a pillar of the church, a pillar of the faith during that time. And last week, we talked about how James 1 unpacks his theme. Remember, James is talking about what it means to be a Christian. And to James, that means following in the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. And James's theme that he wants to just hammer home out of the park home run every single time is that a godly follower of Christ is a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. A Christian is a person of action because Jesus was a person of action. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to be following him to people. He also gave us some signs of spiritual maturity. They were steadfastness, wisdom, faith, and action. Again, that's a reoccurring theme. And then finally, by the end, he opens up the themes for the rest of his book, and they are to keep your mouth in check, to keep your hands busy with serving, and then to walk in holiness with God. That's it. That's the life of a believer to James. Mouth in check, hands in action, walking in holiness with Christ. As we open up tonight, James is dealing with something that we often overlook, and he elevates it as one of the most important keys of a Christian lifestyle. And James is talking to Christians, and so I'm talking to the Christians of this room. And if you're in here and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, some of this stuff is going to be a little bit different for you, but I I respect where you're at, and I pray that God is just pricking at your heart. And if you'd like to talk to somebody, we have some incredible leaders that you can ask questions of, and it's okay if, if it's not for you tonight, but I challenge you to start asking questions. God has some incredible plan for your life. James is talking to believers, so we're going to open up chapter 2 with an incredible little poem. And it's simply this, I have wept in the night for the shortness of sight that to somebody's need made me blind, as in I saw somebody in need and I was blind to it, but I never have yet felt a twinge of regret for being a little too kind. How beautiful is that? May we start having a conscience that is sensitive enough that we hurt whenever we overlook an opportunity to show love. And may we begin to go to bed at night at peace because we pursued every avenue that the Lord had in front of us. There's a little story about Gandhi. If you don't know who Gandhi is, he's one of the coolest characters in world history. Look him up. He is from India. 
and there was they were dealing with incredible oppression, and Gandhi decided to have a revolution, but do it peacefully. Never raising a gun, never raising a sword, and yet through his, his fasting, his piety, his dedication, he, he changed his nation. And there's a story about Gandhi and how he was climbing onto a train one day, and as he was getting on, one of the shoes fell off of his feet onto the track, but the train began moving before he was able to retrieve it. And everybody stood there in shock as he grabbed the other shoe off of his foot and he leaned out and he tossed it to get as close to the first one as possible. And he said, Gandhi, what are you doing? Why did you do that? And he said, so that when someone who is in need finds my first shoe, they'll now have a pair. Gandhi was more concerned about the welfare of somebody else than he was concerned about, oh no, I lost my shoes. That was the state of mind that he lived in. And that is worth noting. So let's go to the book of James. James chapter 2, verse 1. And this is so key. Bear with me. My brothers, show no partiality, as in distinction, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now he says Lord twice there. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's trying to emphasize something here that he wants us to pick up right at the beginning of this chapter. If you were to look at the word Lord and go back to the root word, it means master. And so when he's saying this, he's saying our faith in our master Jesus Christ, the master of glory. He is right at the beginning saying, Jesus is our master. We submit to him. Jesus, us. Jesus, us. Us, Jesus. See the difference. That is our God. And he isn't just a master like like a boss at work or a king, some earthly flawed person. He is the master of glory. The transcendent heavenly creator God, that's who we're talking about. That's who our faith is in. Our master. This is going to be so important for the the point that he's trying to make. So what does he mean by partiality? Here, verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, "Um, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet like one of my servants, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So when he says, show no partiality, he's actually saying, stop having prejudice. Stop elevating the person that has something good that you might gain from them and putting down someone who's needy or poor. Remember who James is talking to. He's talking about a people that are dealing with poverty. And he's trying to say, guys, you're showing all this favoritism. You're just drooling over the feet of people that might have something good for you, the wealthy, the popular, the good looking. And then you're just shoving into a corner the people that are needy, the people that are poor, the people that you think smell funny. They're overlooking this evil, this sin that they're doing of separating the two. And they're doing it out of self-centeredness, hoping to earn something from this. They're showing favoritism. They're actually being prejudiced in their church. Oh, did I mention it's happening in church? Why is this such a big deal? Remember how James started. Jesus is our master, the master of glory. As in, they're saying, you're better, you're lesser. But James is opening the thought of, no, no, Jesus is better. The rest of us are lesser. The, The playing field is even and level at the feet of Christ. He is our master. And that's so interesting because Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, 6-11 that God himself does not show favoritism. We're the ones that go, 
We like you more than we like you. But when God looks at us, he says, I have mercy and grace equal for all of you. I have forgiveness equal for all of you. Jesus loved the woman caught in sin as much as he loved Peter who walked on water. The gifts of God show no partiality or distinction. What is James saying? There is no room for prejudice in the life of a Christian. There is no room for us to elevate one person and put down another. James calls it evil. Verse 5, listen, my brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who loved him? He's referring to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus say? It's Luke 6.20. He says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, look, those people that are needy, the people that you don't like, they're awkward and they're different, and you just all around just don't care for them, you need to remember yourself that Jesus said theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the one he's reaching out to. Theirs is the one he's going out of his way for. Get your act together, church. That's what James is saying. Living like a Christian is living like Jesus, following his teaching. And James had a front row seat to see what Jesus taught and Jesus' lifestyle. And Jesus went after the very ones that were willing to say, no, you're just, you, no, I'm, I don't really care for you. I don't care for that person. Everything they say is awkward. They just, they, they, there's this one thing that happened one time and I just can't really understand them anymore. That's the one Jesus is going after. And you know what? The early church took James's teaching to heart. They actually had a tradition in the early church where if a, a normal member came in the door, one of the ushers would come and attend to them. But if somebody who is a stranger came in the door, particularly someone in need, the bishop of the church would get out of his seat and he would come down and take care of them because they took James seriously. I wonder how many of us are going to the door to meet new people. I wonder how many of us are going out of our way across the cafeteria or across the hallway to show love to someone that the rest of the class doesn't really care for. Where do we stand in this? Do we show partiality? Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? James is pointing out that it's even illogical for them to show partiality because it's the wealthy people that are using their wealth to abuse them. Let's keep going. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. I love that he calls it the royal law. Why? Because Jesus is the Lord, the Lord of all glory. This is his law. And his law was whenever they came to him and said, Jesus, what's the most important thing I can do? He said, love God, love people, serve God, serve people. That is the royal law. And Jesus was quoting Leviticus 19.18. Verse 9. But if you show partiality, if you show prejudice, someone's different than you, They look different, smell different, act different. They're from a different background. If you show that that prejudice, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do do not commit adultery but you do murder, then you have become a, a transgressor of the whole law. That may sound wordy, but let me bring this home to you. Remember how last week we talked about integrity? We talked about how you can have this long rope. I'll just show you. I want to welcome to the stage Henry the Rope. All right. The rope's name is Henry. 
He's been on stage enough that he should have a name. He's named after Henry, the great poet, Henry Longfellow. All right, yes. If I could ask my awesome assistants, Noah and Ian, to come up. Yes, this is beautiful. All right, I'm going to scroll this over to you guys. All right, here, Noah, would you hold, would you hold right about here? Awesome. And Ian, hold on the other side of my color right here. Beautiful. Perfect. Right there. Beautiful. All right. What is James saying here? James is saying, if you transgress, if you sin in one part of the law, we have violated the whole thing. Now, you're like, man, I would much rather have someone lie to me than stab me. Right? Yeah, I agree. I would rather have someone lie to me than stab me, too. But you have to understand that before God, we are violating holiness. Jesus died on the cross to give us holiness. And when there is a part of our life that we haven't submitted to him, it compromises the whole thing. The word integrity means same strength throughout. So what is James saying here? He's saying here, I've got a lot of red over here. He's saying right here that maybe you feel like you're doing well on this really big thing. Don't murder. All right? Put your hand. I don't even want it. Okay. And then maybe you've got another one. Let's make our green. It's not very wide. It's not very, let's call that one uh, gossip, right? And then what's my next color here? We can call this, let's say stealing, all right? And then we have our yellow guy here and make it another one. Um, Lust and pride and cheating on a test and go through it. Just assign each one. Now you see my little red one right here? He's so cute. He's tiny. My little red one. What James is saying is, church, you've been overlooking one that you thought was unimportant. You've been overlooking the fact that when you show prejudice, you're actually committing a sin. And when you commit a sin, you are violating that holiness between you and God. So I'll ask the same question I asked last week. How many tears does it take in this rope to compromise the whole rope? Thank you. One. So you might be saying, no, 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 I've really got my life together. I'm doing good here and here and here and here and here and here, and I am awesome. But if we overlook just one area, even if we think it's unimportant, it still compromises our integrity, our righteousness before God. And so he's really trying to escalate this. He's saying he's comparing this to adultery and murder. And he's saying you are sinning just the same before God when you're willing to show one person love and one person scorn. Thank you, guys. Y'all are awesome. Can you carry that back off the stage? Thank y'all. See, some of us feel like we've arrived. We've been in church this long time, and we feel like we do everything good, and there's nothing particularly outstanding. But you have to understand that whenever it's something small, I, but I just cheated on that test. I, you know, it was one. Like, we still are sinners, saved by grace. And we still offend God. And we need to ask for forgiveness. James 2, verse 12. Remember those themes? Keep your mouth in check. Keep your hands busy with loving action. Stay holy before God. James 2, 12. So speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. Law of liberty. What does that mean? Romans 8, 2 might shine a little light on this. He says this. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. What are we set free from? The law of sin and death. So we have the law of liberty in Jesus over here, and we have the law of sin and death over here. And under this law, our sins equate to hell and death. And here we we are born into into this sin. 
And we're just, everything that we do is out of the sin nature. And Jesus comes and he sets us free. It says with a, with a high price. And he brings us underneath the law of liberty and righteousness under Christ. And so that old man, that old woman is dead. The one that is a slave to sin is dead. And now we have come under this liberty, this freedom. And this freedom, because we're no longer bound to sin, is a freedom to obey Jesus where we couldn't obey him before. We have the freedom to act like Jesus. We have the freedom to please God. So I'm challenging you to exercise your freedom to love people. Exercise your freedom for kindness. Get this, 2.13. Here's a scary verse. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Judgment is without mercy to those who haven't shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That may sound harsh, but Jesus said something equally harsh in Matthew 6.15 when he said, if you do not forgive someone else, my heavenly Father will not forgive you. We are supposed to operate in the love and forgiveness that God shows us. And so we are supposed to operate in mercy, the same mercy that we want God to show us. There's a parable that Jesus tells, and it messes with me every time. And he basically says, there's going to be people that stand before the Lord. And the Lord's going to say to them, thank you so much for giving me water when I was thirsty. Thank you so much for giving me a place to stay when I had nowhere. Thank you for giving me clothes when I was cold and naked. And they're going to say, Lord, when did we see you naked or thirsty or need a place to stay? And he'll say, whatever you've done to the least, to the needy, the poor, the ones that everyone else looks down on, the way you've treated them is how you've been treating me. And then others will come and he'll say, you saw me hungry, you didn't feed me. You saw me destitute, you didn't give me a place to stay. And they'll say, when? When did we see you like that? When did we not meet your needs? Whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. We need to remember that whenever we make fun of somebody, we need to remember that that's Jesus we're making fun of. Whenever we steal from someone, we're stealing from that person. Whenever we gossip, we are gossiping about Jesus. The way we treat other people is the way we are treating Jesus, and we will stand before him for that. So let's go back to that verse. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, because we haven't shown mercy to Jesus. And we are not showing mercy and love and kindness to people. But mercy triumphs over judgment. When we expend mercy and forgiveness and love, it overwhelms judgment. It's so beautiful. James 2.14 What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? We read this last week, and it is so beautiful. If someone says he has faith, but he does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that are needed for the body, does that sound familiar? Just like Jesus' parable? Because James spent a lot of time with Jesus. What good is that? James asks these questions. What good is it? Can faith save? What good? And the answers are, it's no good. You haven't helped them at all by using your mouth to just say, hey, go and be blessed. Be filled. No, it's action that God is calling us to, to live like Christ. These verses cause massive controversy. Martin Luther almost threw the book of James out because of, because of that verse because they were concerned that this was saying that we are saved by our works instead of what Paul made very clear, that we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, you have been saved through faith, not as a result of works. But these actually work beautifully together. 
Because James isn't saying you're saved by works. He's saying that the life of a believer who is saved by grace will translate into works. If you love Jesus, if you're following him, you will follow him to where he's going and act like him, and we will follow him to people in need, and we will love them because that's what he's doing. No, no, no. It is faith that saves through his grace. But that is going to become in us people of love and of action. Our lives change to look like Jesus. He went and served the physically needy around him, and then he went to the cross to serve the spiritually needy. Verse 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe in God as one, you do well. <laughs> Even the demons believe, and they shudder. I love this. James is actually getting sarcastic. There is biblical principle at times to be sarcastic, according to James. You catch that? You see, in, in Jewish understanding, the root, bottom, foundation level is that God is one. Every day they'll say the Shema, uh, Hero Israel, Yahweh your God is one. And so he's going back to the root Jewish belief, and he's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. You believe, you say you believe this root theology. Guess what? The demons believe the same thing you do. But where is your actions? Don't just say it. You see, what we believe up here, if it doesn't come out here, is dead and useless. Your faith, your, your theology is not your faith. Your theology should become action and that is your faith, because faith is action based on trust. You can say you love Jesus all day. I love this. If you could hear James talking in like present day English, he would say this. He would say, you can say you love Jesus all day, but me personally, I'm going off to love the people that Jesus is loving. And you can stay in your little comfy world. But I'm going to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus, because that's where Jesus would be. And next, James does this. I love it. He gives examples of faith. James 2, verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? He's not happy here. That faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. I love it. James picks an obvious example, the father of the Jewish faith, and he picks a not obvious example, a prostitute, someone that they would look down on, someone who would be spiritually needy. And neither of them sat idly by. Abraham was not a man of faith because he thought really great things about God, because he trusted God a lot from his couch. Abraham was a man of faith because when God spoke, he went. He left his family. He left his homeland. When God spoke, he near sacrificed his son. When God spoke, he went to war. When God spoke, he went to Sodom and Gomorrah. He was always a man who would respond with actions, trusting that God would be true to his word. Faith is action based on trust. And then he compares faith to Rahab, the woman who saw the works of God from the edges of her wall, who trusted God, and sent the, the spies in a different direction to protect them. People that acted on their faith. Verse 26. For as the body 
apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I find this so interesting. Faith apart from the Spirit is dead. No, the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. To me, personally, I would have compared faith to the Spirit. Both are sort of ethereal intangibles, right? But instead, he compares the body to faith, and he compares the spirit to works. Maybe because our faith is seen through the actions of our body. And you know what? Maybe it's because our works are evidence of our spirit. If we have a filthy spirit, our works will reflect that. If we have a spirit that is covered in his righteousness, our works will reflect that. What condition is your spirit in tonight? Because what you say and what you do will reflect that. If you have a friend that's claiming that they're a Christian and their mouth is foul in the locker room, it's evidence of their spirit. If you know this girl and she calls herself a Christian, but all she does is gossip, it's an evidence of her spirit, of the condition of her spiritual well-being. What happens in our mind and heart is absolutely useless if it doesn't manifest in our hands. To quote that great philosopher, Rachel Dawes from Batman Begins, she said, talking to Bruce, Bruce, it's not who you are deep down inside, but it's what you do that defines you. Yeah, Batman Begins. Oh, so I've got another illustration for tonight, and I would like to introduce somebody else to the stage. Go ahead, bring her on up. Her name is Manuela, Manuela Mannequin. What's up, Manuela? I'm going to turn you a little bit this way. Thank you, Noah. You ready to see? Are you just like blooming with curiosity? What is under this? Okay. So we have Manuela Mannequin. Voila. All right, at the count of three, you're going to read her shirt. Ready? One, two, three. Excellent, I smell like Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we are the fragrance of Christ. When you're moving down the halls at school, when you're at Walmart, when you're at work, when you're at home with your families, you should smell like Jesus. You're the fragrance of Christ. Oh yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's stick-on letters. Just It wouldn't wash. All right, so... I would like you to talk to the person next to you, grab a buddy, and just take about 30 seconds and ask them, what do you think it means to be the fragrance of Christ? Go. All right, time's up. All right. I also have here a bottle of genuine raccoon urine. Which raises two questions. One, Dom, what is your proclivity of bringing urine onto stage? And two, what are you going to do with that? Now, we have Manuela, 
And she is wearing the shirt that says, I smell like Jesus. She is representing Christ. Maybe she is a member of James's church, and she's been the one that is like, oh, yeah, I'm totally here. I love Jesus. And then she kind of like floats her way over here and is really nice to these popular people. While she totally ignores these other just, eh, kind of wish they weren't here kind of people, right? And maybe we do that, right? So, oh, man, I'm going to have some volunteers at the end to come up and smell this thing. I knew it would be junior high boys. All right, so let's say maybe Manuela has been learning about James chapter 1 and 2. And she hears that somebody, somebody is really like needing money, five bucks or something. And she has it, but she's like, ah, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Oof. Maybe, maybe someone around her is made fun of. And she sort of like joins in the joke because everyone's laughing and it kind of makes her, makes her smell good. People start thinking that she's funny, she's witty. Maybe she sees someone's car on the road. Girls, this isn't for you. Guys, maybe you see someone's car on the road, but you don't really want to pull over and help them because it might get your amazing I smell like Jesus shirt dirty. Maybe we see someone who needs a friend, but we know if we talk to them, people are going to start whispering about us. It's okay. Jackie's going to love this scent when I get home. Maybe maybe you're super nice in class to the person you've been crushing on, but you totally blow off somebody else that just annoys you. And yet, here we are being people that don't love, or if we do love, it's on this level versus this level, for this person but not this person. Maybe they don't have the same background that we do. Maybe they're a different race, or maybe they smell different. I don't know, whatever strange reasons. Maybe things went down a while ago, and we just haven't been able to forgive them in a while. And we're wearing this shirt that says, I smell like Jesus, but everything about us stinks. Everything about us is not showing the love of Christ. Our lifestyle is not like Jesus. What are we saying to the world around us? I can tell you that Gandhi never gave his life to Christ because he says, I love their Jesus, but I can't stand their people. I think I paraphrased that. We are supposed to be followers of Jesus Christ. And if we're followers of him, we're supposed to do what he did and say the things he said. And Jesus went to people that everyone else rejected. He would cross the street, he'd cross the lake, he'd do whatever it took to love. Church, that's what we're calling to do. We can talk the talk all day, we can think the think, but our actions are going to speak louder than words. God used James to call us to love without prejudice. I challenge you to ask the Lord if there's any prejudice in your life. To be honest with yourself, and maybe it doesn't have, just have to be a race thing. Maybe it's something completely different that you weren't expecting. Maybe you just don't like jocks. I don't know. 
It could be something so minor, but if we're walking around pretending to follow Jesus and we smell like the world, then we are wasting our witness. Remember what last week said? That God said he has, he's got nothing for the people that are two-faced. Because we're ineffective. Isaiah was an incredible prophet. God called him mostly to speak to the elite in, in Judah. He would talk to the priests and he would talk to some of the wealthy, but God called Micah to go to the streets. God called Micah to be talking to the common people. And if you were to ask Micah how we please God, he would tell you this, and this is Micah 6.8. He, talking about God, has told you, Oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But this, do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Does that sound familiar? Let's read that again. Read it slowly. Consider, do justice and love kindness and walk humbly before your God. Two of those have to do with how we treat people. To go back to James, keep our mouth in check, keep our hands in action, and to walk in holiness with the Lord. So your challenge for this week, between now and next Wednesday, I dare you, it's going to happen. Pray for God to send you someone to love. And he may send you to someone to love. Go and do something inexplicably loving. Be willing to have your friends talk about you because you sat with this person. Or you were seen walking and talking with them. Be willing to lose a little face because you're following Jesus. Challenge you, Elevate. And I hope God gives you something outside your comfort zone. He likes to do that. Pray for courage. And remember that courage is not the absence of fear. It's choosing something that's more important. Choose somebody more important. Let's love the way Jesus loved. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for James with his hard-hitting, challenging message. Lord, I pray that we'll take that little part on the rope that we so often overlook and we will surrender that to you, that we will love. We will love without holding back. We will stop trying to pick and choose who we think are worthy when, Lord, you called us worthy because of your love. And we all stand equal before you. Motivate us, challenge us, We surrender this night to you, and I pray that many in this room become world changers, changing somebody's world for you in their acts of kindness, in their acts of being Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I thank you right now for lives being changed, for atmospheres being turned and reoriented because people in here Students in here were willing to say yes to a challenge to be more like you. Lord, that they will become a practice, that when they lose one shoe, they throw the other one too because they care more about other people than they do themselves. Lord, include me. Please, use me. We don't need a a T-shirt to say who we stand for. Let our, our loving words and our loving actions make it clear. In Jesus' holy and precious, incredible name, amen. Amen. Love you, Elevate. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.